Welcome to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Grabowski. If you hadn't noticed, there's been a few changes in the look of the Coaching Coordinator Podcast, and soon we will be airing some new episodes, and I'm telling you, you're going to love the future direction of Coach and Coordinator. In the meantime, we're sharing some episodes from our archives, and today's a great one from our defensive archives with defensive coordinator at South Dakota, Travis Johansson. Coach Johansson was featured in a Sports Illustrated article in 2018 entitled, The Search to Save NFL Defenses. You're going to want to check that article out. I'll link it in my show notes. And I think if you are a defensive coach or an offensive coach, there's a lot of great information here for you on what coach likes to call the positionless defense. Check it out. Welcome to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. I'm excited to be joined today by University of South Dakota defensive coordinator and safeties coach, Travis Johansson. Travis, it's great to have you here. It's great to be on, Keith. Travis, uh, you're young in this profession, but uh, have gained a lot of experience along the way. So talk to us first, though, about your start in coaching and what was it that really was the decision maker for you to go into this profession and be a college football coach? Yeah, I think, uh, geez, it's, it's nice to be called young. I, uh, my wife doesn't say that all the time, but, um, you know, when I got started, I got, I got really lucky. Um, I played at Concordia university, a division two school in St. Paul, uh, Minnesota. And when I got done, <clears throat> I think like a lot of guys, I just wanted to stay around the game. I just didn't know what to do with football in part of my life forever. And, you know, obviously coaching was the, uh, the closest thing to playing at that time. Nobody was looking for a, you know, five eleven hundred ninety pound linebacker to, to use professionally. So, um, obviously coaching was kind of my avenue to do that. And I, I worked for, um, uh, played for uh, a coach at the time, uh, coach Mark Maurer, who gave me a chance to, get in um i started student assisting uh for a semester kind of getting on track to you know do the do the normal graduate assistant deal and um one of our other coaches at the time while i was in that phase uh, decided to um get out and and kind of do his thing in um in a private world and, and there was an opening and he asked me to to come on full time before i was even graduated uh from from college so of course Little did I know, I just said, yep, and jumped on board. I've um, been coaching ever since. Um, lucky enough, I kind of worked myself up from there at Concordia, just as a position coach and to, uh, to a coordinator. Um, then we had a change in staff, got, got let go there, like everybody's experience, and uh, at some point in time, and ended up at uh, Grandview University at NAI in Iowa. It was an unbelievable experience. Uh, won a lot of football games, a national title, a uh, bunch of league titles, and um, yeah, it was, a, it was a really, really neat place, hard place to leave, and then, um, you know, immediately after that, and, and now here at the uh, University of South Dakota, so, you know, it's been, been fast, but each place has uh, been unique in its own way at a lot of different levels. As you look back at those experiences, what would be maybe a couple of those key lessons in developing as a coach that you point to have really become part of who you are right now? Well, I think, you know, the, the, the one that really more than anything um, kind of shaped me. One, I've learned that you certainly don't know it all. I think when you're, when you're a young guy going through it, you always got the, 
your your own ideas and the way you go about it. But when you actually, you know, sit in that chair and got to make some of those decisions, um, you know, you find out real fast. And you certainly don't have all the answers, and to to lean on expertise is is something that uh, you know you should really seek after. And I did that a lot um, as I kind of found out the hard way. Um, you know, we uh, lost our head coach Concordia, and and, and ended up kind of. Uh, having to go in a different direction, you know, essentially getting let go. I think, you you know, one of those scenarios, you go through that once and you, you learn a lot about, you know, how how you need to, uh, you know, make sure you're really in your P's and Q's all the time, you know, so you're really marketable a lot. And, and that's straightly into, you know, taking each each position you're at and job you're at for, for uh, you know, for what it is and uh, taking advantage of all these opportunities. And, and so I think, you know, looking back, you know, just really understanding that you're constantly a learner and regardless of how much people might like what you're doing or how you're doing it, that you're always continuing to evolve and, and change and learn. And I think, you know, that's helped me quite a bit. Coach, you've become known for your approach to and how you think about defense. And we're going to dig into that in a little bit. But before we do, I want to think a little bit more in terms of you know, I think everybody talks about the buzzword culture right now and, you know, looking back at those things and now being the defensive coordinator at South Dakota, um, certainly you're going to be aligned with, you know, the program philosophy and what you do there. But every unit, whether that is an offense or a defense or every position unit, kind of has their own little twist to meet the needs of their players and get those guys aligned within the culture. So when you're looking at how you build that defensive unit. What are the, the pillars that you guys are going to build it upon? Well, I th- you know, I think, you know, everybody wants, you know, from a recruiting standpoint to find guys with the character of competitiveness and, and, uh, and, and toughness, I think is the kind of the, you know, the word everybody uses. I think of toughness more as willingness. Um, I don't think anybody that plays this game has decided to play this game at this level uh, isn't tough. Um, I think, some guys are more willing than others and um, getting guys to, to, to be willing is, is kind of our job as coaches, but, you know, competitive, tough people. I think first, this is a game about people, not, not necessarily about X's and O's all the time. Um, and, and then we talk a lot about, you know, design, just kind of how we talk to our kids around accountability, you know, um, not having this be about us. This isn't a, a coach's game. It's a player's game. And, you know, we really dig into these guys about explaining to us what you want to get out of this. And, you know, luckily enough here in South Dakota, um, you know, Coach Nielsen, our head coach, has, has won multiple national titles. And I had the opportunity to um, win a national title. Uh, we've been around coaches that have, have done that and seen what it takes. And, you know, I think we can speak on that for these guys lucky enough. And they say things like we want to, you know, win at this level. Um, we're going to set the bar up there and, and show them what that looks like. You know, then it's on our guys. And essentially, it isn't so much about what we want to do. Um, it's about what they want to do and recruiting guys that really want that genuinely and aren't afraid to um, back it up when, when those challenges presented in front of them um, when, we, when we do set that bar. And so, you know, accountability from the standpoint of we're going to hold them accountable to their own goals. Not, not to ours. 
you know, we're going to coach, you know, a lot of different football teams and a lot of different players. Um, this is about their experience. What, what we want them to have out of that is kind of relevant. And so, you know, we let them, you know, show us their goals and what they want to do. And then we're going to show them what that takes. And I think you got to have tough and competitive people to have that sense of accountability. And, and I think we do here for sure. I know in the last week uh, it's it's become a bit of a debate, and I know there's been a lot of coaches upset with the NFL banning certain drills and the idea that you know you're making our sport soft. I'm fully of the belief that a drill is not what makes a guy tough, and in fact, I think you're making a big mistake in today's day and age if you're putting toughness on a drill, especially if if you don't have that direct game application. But for you, let's define toughness and the things you're looking for and I guess what is it that makes a player in your eyes tough yeah I mean again I I don't think you know I think that word is (laughs) Keith is so overused you know I mean you're you're strapping that lid on every day and shoulder pads you're going out playing this collision sport you're tough yes and and are you more physical than the next guy potentially um you know I put I tell guys all the time, you know, we're talking to coaches and say, Hey guys, these guys are tough. You know, I guarantee you if, uh, you know, mom was in the car and it was, and it was tipped over burning, that kid is going to find a way to go smash his head through that windshield and get mom out. He's willing. Um, at that point in time, he's got an extra level of motivation that makes him willing to do anything to, uh, to get that job done. And I think every kid we got would, would go do that. Now, are they willing to, um, you know, go to those extremes on, on Saturday in the fall or, or Wednesday at practice? Um, maybe not, but how do we show them that, you know, their goals are that important to them where they're willing to, you know, not on that level, but, but, you know, to a, to a, to a, you know, physical level or a, or a willingness level to actually go out there and, and compete with everything they got. Um, you know, I think it's a willingness, not so much a toughness. And if we can show them that that's what it takes, and to to meet their goals and get those experiences that they look forward to having in this game, um, they become, you know, and everybody else is, is a whole lot tougher. And so I, I look at it more as, as a willingness in our job as coaches to motivate those guys to, you know, um, play this game and work that hard in the off season because what they want to get out of this game is on the line every day. <clears throat> and I think most guys respond and the guys that don't, um, I think, you know, you find a way to, to really understand who's willing and who's not. Yeah, I love that. And I, I agree with you 100%. I think by definition, if you are playing football today, you're tough. Because it's not necessarily the the cool thing to do if you're reading all the newspaper reports and, and whatever it might be. I mean, the game gets put under attack in so many different ways. So I think no those question. guys, by definition are tough. And and I know part of us as coaches, like we want to hold on to that tradition, but I think more than ever, we see the game evolving and it's, it's not the drill. I think we have to get that out of our head that people are taking things away from us. I think as coaches, we got to evolve too. What is it exactly we need out of these guys on game day? And how does that translate back to practice? And those, so to say that a drill created in 1965 is, you know, that being banned is taking away from our game. I, I think we're, I think we're being a little bit silly in, in that. I understand, you know, why people are upset, but at the same time, like, I don't think we have to hang our hat on that particular drill or any drill. Oh, no question. 
no question. I think at one point in time there weren't face masks on helmets, right. you know, and so and they were and they were leather. And I'm sure as soon as somebody brought out a hard helmet for the first time, there was some uproar too. And so, <laughs> you know, I think all the changes being made to the game are just going to prolong it and keep it safe, and that's all great. You know, I don't think you turn on the product every day. Um, this is a this is a physical, fast, aggressive game that hasn't changed. You know, and I don't think us finding different ways to support it being safer. Um, uh, of course, we should want to do that. You know, uh, I don't think that has hurt our game at all. Coach, in the bigger picture right now, being at South Dakota, what has you most excited about the the culture that coach is building there? Well, I know when when I when I looked at this job, we talked about the job. Um, you know, the one thing, Coach Nielsen, uh, you know, the head coach I'm working for right now, everywhere he's been, um, he's found a way to um, turn those programs around. And here, um, you know, some of the things that I think, you know, didn't allow South Dakota to be, um, you know, although there's been a lot of success here to be, you know, nationally prominent. And I think that's one of the things I look for when I want to be a part of a program. Say, do we get a chance to win a national title? in this program and, and he's done it and turned programs around everywhere he's been. And then what they're doing for him here, we got a $30 million renovation going on in, in our dome right now. A um, hundred million dollar athletic renovation that's happened in the last couple of years. And this place is really invested into, into players and, and student athletes and giving them a chance to be really successful. So, when I knew that was happening right on the front end of, uh, of an opportunity to be here uh, with a guy like coach Nielsen, there was no hesitation um, to, to jump on board. And, you know, there were some other opportunities and, and I looked at this one and went, this is a no brainer playing the best FCS league in the country. Um, by far, you get a chance to prove it week in, week out. And now we've got a, a you know, a base to really recruit on the kids come here. They look around and go, Holy smokes. Um, you know, I want to be here. And so, yeah, it's exciting. And, and you know, this place is, is, is special. I mean, it's the, you know, it's the, the, uh, you know, the, the university of the state, which is, which is pretty cool. It's the flagship of the university of South Dakota. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Because let's dig into your defense a little bit and your philosophy. And you were featured in a sports illustrated article called the search to save NFL defenses and one of our, our guests last week has been on a couple times was Matt Drinkle and Matt pointed to you as a as a guy to look to to really understand where this game is evolving to and some of your thought processes there and I guess thematically it's around this idea of po- positionless defense or a bunch of hybrid types of guys and if we were to look back you know let's say even 10 years ago uh Offenses and defenses were pretty well defined and fit into certain boxes, and you could you could pigeonhole them. They are this type of offense or this type yeah. of defense. And in terms of the tools that guys use, I mean, even if they're let's say a twenty-one personnel team, they still may be using some of those RPO tools or tempo tools, or you know, moving guys all over into different positions. And in a lot of ways, uh, finding hybrid guys on offense who really put a stress on the defense. So to, I guess, play inside the box anymore uh, becomes a little bit challenging and even limiting in terms of how you might run an offense or a defense at this point in the game. So 
give us a little bit of overview of number one, you know, what were the main things you discussed in that article? And for our listeners, we'll link that Sports Illustrated article if you haven't seen it in our show notes. But talk to us, coach, a little bit about, uh, I guess, the the whole idea behind that article and you know what you're sharing there. Yeah, I think uh, you know you know that was an interesting day. We talked about a lot of stuff that day, and it was it was really neat. Uh, Connor did a really good job with, with the article, and um, you know obviously uh, you guys and me do what you do um, as far as highlighting us, try to make it look a lot better than it is. But I, I think um, you know the conversations we had it was really about you know the the term kind of positionless defense is, is maybe a little a little crazy yeah but, right um i think it you know it really came down to a conversation we had about you know and i said i sit back and look at defense and just developing athletes in general and you know when you talk about defining the defense back in the day even today you know you ask somebody what are you and they say we're a three four and that means something that means something schematically um it means to a lot of guys that's you know hey you're in an oaky front you got two outside backers of the same body inside backers and your zero technique and how you're fitting it up and you you know you're playing particular cover I and mean, that's that's what a three four is in the mind of a lot of guys that that grew up you know coaching this game in the last you know 15 20 years and so you know and what those players did it didn't matter what type of athlete was doing it this is how you're going to do it um and we're going to limit you to, to you know those specific techniques even though you might be great at something else and so um, you know, the way I look at it, it's very similar to the way basketball has evolved, uh, evolved, excuse me. And, and you look back in, not that long ago and every center, you know, they talk about, you know, you're a one through five and every five, you know, sat in the block and, and, and took the ball in the post and baby hooked or bodied guys in. And that's what they did. And the game, you know, was what it was. It, it, is that type of game and it's changed nowadays you can't play that type of game and have a five that just backs down all the time you know those guys can shoot threes they stand out in the corner and it allows other guys to be better at what they do um and that skill set didn't just happen overnight those guys you know in the probably the 70s and 80s could have done the same thing but nobody coached them to do that allowed them to use that skill set and created that versatility um because that's just not what you did. Hey, we played a we played a formal one, and you stayed in the post, and you were the screener all the time, and you rolled to the bucket, and that's the way it is. And so football, I think, has been the same way. And so the way we look at it is, we really want to develop every athlete to the maximum capacity of their skill set, and then how we marry that together in our defenses um, depends on what we have in the toolbox. And so you know, we spend a lot of time with each guy, really understand them as an athlete, what they can really do, and then how we, you know, design um, our defenses really evolve around, you know, what we've got. And it allows us to teach from a technique standpoint first and then schematically marry it together, you know, the way we need to to, to defend teams. So that's kind of where, where that conversation, you know, and that turn came from uh, that day at least. So in terms of that, when we think of this idea of hybrids playing the game, um, I guess as an extreme example, right? We could have that defensive end, really athletic defensive end, at least what looks like that on a diagram, right? And where he's lining up, fingers in the sure. dirt, or up in the line of scrimmage in a two-point stance, blitzing and playing run on one play, and then the next play out 
playing, you know, man technique on a slot, you know, that, and certainly it takes a certain type of guy to do that, but you start to find more and more of these athletic players and not saying that you necessarily make a living doing that, but how do you start to define what your guys can do and then fit it into a certain scheme without getting, I guess, crazy because at some point there's still uh, some kind of overriding philosophy and structure that you do have to put together to teach these guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think we start with a base of what we want to do, what we think schematically is going to be best to, to defend our schedule. <laughs> and then, you know, from that point, you know, we'll revert back and say, here's the group of techniques it takes to, you know, be proficient in that system. And does that marry with, you know, our best 11 football players? Um, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, sometimes, you know, what you want to do is going to be great seven weeks of the year from just a kind of a base standpoint. And that's not going to be for three others. And in those three others, who are your best 11 in that scenario? And, you know, do you, can you, um, you know, work around the, the actual techniques it takes to play in those schemes um, around those sort of thoughts? And, and, you know, I never forget watching years ago when Everson Griffin first got in the league out of USC, he was playing for Minnesota and they lined him up uh, before he was actually playing on defense. He was a punt return gunner. Um, he'd go line up or as a, as a punt gunner, he'd go cover punts um, out at the X with two guys trying to double him, and nobody could do it. And, and cause he ran well, he's super athletic. Obviously everybody sees what he's doing now you know, now that he's developed into a better defensive player, but he always had the skill set to be that athletic and he was overly physical. And next thing you know, here's a guy running down covering punts um, out of the X, not, you know, and they're protecting first. And so I remember thinking at that point, like, why isn't there more of this happening? And so what we do is just, you know, try and find, um, you know, with the techniques, you know, we're good at coaching and we know we're going to fit into our schemes, um, you know, identify guys that we think, you know, with, with a pretty wide scope can, can do that and give them a chance to do it. And, you know, in the spring and in the summer, and, and then from there, uh, you know, we, we've kind of got an idea of guys that can do all that, who can be available in each package in each position, and um, how deep we can, you know, allows us to be deeper sometimes if we limit packages using, using different guys. And, you know, it, it comes down to teaching techniques at first, you know, not saying we want to run this like this, um, to, how many guys can do this and did that fit on the depth chart, you know, and, and if we need to do that with a number of other calls who can do this group, who can perform this group of techniques and, and then see how that falls into an actual game plan or a scheme or, or the way it looks on paper. So how to identify it? I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work and it takes time, but, you know, I think you find out, you know, which one of those guys can do things early in their career at a, at a really vanilla level or not, you know, they're not ready to play on a game day, but you see some guys and go, geez, I think in a couple of years, that guy could, could really develop into, you know, playing that technique well and, and continue to nurture it. Because taking a step back in terms of recruiting now and thinking of, of defense this way, that, you know, it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be the guy who fits this exact you know, round peg in a square hole. Has it changed the way you look at players in the recruiting process as far as what they might be able to do for you if you bring them in? 
For sure. I think, you know, every guy we look at, I talk about, you know, you look at it as, as a transition always. You know, I think a lot of times you want to, you know, you want to take, um, I'm just speaking offensively, you want to take that tight end and you want to find the six five, you know, 240-pound guy that can run, catch it, do all those things great, you know, that have all the football end of things first and and, and that body type. And a lot of times those guys, you know, um, you know, they're, there's a million places snatching them up before they get to us at all, every level, you know, with the exception of about 10 teams in the country, you don't just go and get your pick. And so you've got to find, you know, in my, in, in my opinion, you got to find transitional guys. And so, you know, we look at um, some of our players, we say, Hey, what could he do well as a freshman? Can this guy help us? You think he can, what are the techniques he could do with, with this body type right now? And then, how do we feel like he's, his body's going to grow his, his physical attributes will change in that time. And then how will that transition? And, and, and one, it allows us to think about it from a, you know, you, you may change positions quote unquote on the, on the, uh, on the depth chart as you go along, but, but you build skill sets from the time you're a freshman to your senior and it lets us provide ourselves with a little more depth where, hey, we feel like this guy can help us early in a limited capacity while he develops his body and his mind around the game into more full-time capacity. And so we don't want to think of guys for, you know, just what they are now or what they could be, but how that process is going to go and where we can fit them in along the way. And so, yeah, there is a lot of, you know, when you, when you take a recruit and you say, what's this guy going to be? We want them to. We want us to help, or we want that that player to help us and help this football team as early as possible. And we want to find guys that can help us, maybe in a different way than it might look like his junior and senior year, um, if possible. So, yeah, I think I think the way we look at it might be a little different, but um, it's always worked well. I know you've stated that the fundamentals are a big part of this, and teaching each guy a a base of fundamentals that they're going to use and repping those things over and over. When you get into the season, you get into the game week and you're faced with different offensive systems coming at you, different ways they're trying to attack you, put defenders in conflict, etc. How do you treat practice in terms of, and let's use the example of, of taking a corner, for example, um, a guy usually playing out on the edge and maybe you get into a dime package and now that corner's on a on a slot now playing in a different space. For you, how are you orchestrating uh, that idea of guys maybe not just being in that traditional, you know, cornerback position or <clears throat> defensive end position or whatever it might be over the course of the week to get them ready for game day? Yeah, so that, that exact scenario – um, happened to us um, just in the in the 2018 season at Granby. We had we had majored in you know let's talk quote unquote personnel wise on the field. We had been a three four team. Um, uh, another year we had four hands downs a two four three looking team. Uh, and then we uh, you know a couple things happened. One there were a couple teams. You know, one team in particular we weren't able to defend as well as we wanted to. As a team, we felt like we needed to, to beat to get over the hump, um, you know, to get ourselves a home playoff game as opposed to playing on the road. And it was important to us. 
and so, you know, we, we had talked about some of the techniques we may play, um, you know, around that one team and it, it had our corners, you know, pressed in the slot, um, you know, playing a couple different techniques in the slot and then, you know, trapping off of that look and being involved in the exit. And so during the, you know, summer and, and, and spring and fall camp, we, you know, we had our corners doing some of those things and, and working those techniques. We had a couple of backup safeties that were, were similar body types uh, that could, you know, play some assisted man in the slot. Um, so we allowed them to play the techniques when they were supported by a safety, you know, in one capacity or another or bracketed corner. And then, you know, we're stout enough to trap and, you know, fit on a, you know, box a, a puller or, or plan an H back or things like that. And so they've been, you know, playing some of the techniques, but we jumped into the schedule doing, a, you know, some of the things we, we had done the year before and, you know, we reduced up front and had kind of that weak outside backers, you know, playing at the line of scrimmage a lot. And then, you know, we, we kind of went into it, didn't play as well as we wanted to the first week. And, and then, you know, said, hey, I think we got to do some things different, you know, with a very different team. We went from playing a 21-22 personnel multi-shift pro-style team into a 10 personnel high-tempo RPO-based team. And we knew what we kind of wanted to do going into that game. And so we took our, our, our a corner and a backup safety and, and put dime on the field. Um, the entire game and, and had a really nice day, six turnovers and, and, and really played well against against that group and held them to as low of a point total as they had in the last however many years combined. Um, and so we kind of went, why would we, these are our best 11 guys, can we do this more than just in 10 personnel or some of the things? And, and it kind of took on a life of its own. We played in a 3-2-6 personnel defense for really the remainder of the year with the exception of, you know, 21 and 22 sets where we, you know, obviously had the sevens of different type of guys, but our, you know, our corners went into that, or or essentially our nickel and dime player went into that, you know, game uh, or into more game plans throughout the season, you know, not necessarily ready to play a conceptual defense, but they knew the techniques that we were asking them to play. And it just became a matter of when to play them. And could we teach on that level? Like, hey, in this look, we want you to play this technique. And it becomes really simple to guys as opposed to teaching them the call and they associate that call with the technique. Then it's harder to teach, in my opinion. So we were able to be pretty versatile, jump into game plans, be a little different week to week. Um, But technically, the guys are playing the same stuff. They mastered those techniques against those looks. And so, I mean, we we ran into that issue this year and, and not, not really an issue. It allowed us to get our best players in that field, you know, because we were prepared technically. I know the Sports Illustrated article characterized this as you're reinventing the defense every week. And uh, I think that's a far uh, distinction, though, from saying you're like a flavor of the week guy, right? Because as I'm hearing you talk about this, the consistency comes in. You've taught these guys to master skill sets you've taught them to master fundamentals and techniques um, I would imagine coach that this is the stuff that gets installed in the spring and then in in summer camp before you even head into the season so it's not like you're taking a guy and saying hey guess what you're going to do this week and he's he's got no clue and it's new teaching that this is something for you that there is a uh, progression there is a system of teaching this to your guys no question um yeah, this, this certainly is a throw it up against the wall and see what sticks. You know, we, we're we going to teach 
you know, the things that they, at a high level, what they need to play, the looks they're going to see running that technique. What I think has been overrated over the years is how the amount of understanding they have to have and how they all marry together. Um, I think that's a little bit bailing out on your responsibility as a coach where the guy that has to understand how they all marry together is, is me and our staff and making sure that when we marry these techniques together, whether that's, you know, from one week to another or from one season to another, that it's sound, it's fundamentally sound, um, technically sound, you know, that we deal in all the nuance, um, however long that takes uh, to make sure when we ask kids to do things, we ask our guys to, to go and execute those techniques that when they're all put together, that it's schematically sound and, you know, um, how we do that, how quickly we feel like we can do that. Um, you know, that's just a matter of game planning and marrying those techniques together, you know, and I, I'm not afraid to completely change the alignment and technique a guy plays mid game, um, if need be. And the thing is, it makes it really easy to adjust. I mean, our guys will, Hey, in this call, we just, instead of running a, you know, this, we need you to execute this technique from this alignment. And, and they're able to do that it helps us, you know, adjust you know, a little easier that way. And so, no, this isn't, you know, we don't say, well, we're going to have you do something you've never done before uh, week two mid game. That, that will never happen. Coach, a lot of what we do in our sport, I think, as, as people hear about it, gets lost in translations like the telephone game, right? You tell somebody one thing here and then by the time it's to somebody else, they, they have a complete misunderstanding of what was originally said. So the yeah. idea of, and again, if I'm just looking at some articles written, well, this guy plays a 3-3 and a 4-3 and a 4-2-5. And like, that's not necessarily <laughs> it, right? Uh, I would think that a coach can't go out with that idea that he's taken a bunch of systems and grab pieces from here and there. All of this starts with a structure. And for you, I think at least the Sports Illustrated article said it's a pretty thin playbook, but it allows you to have a teaching structure to start from. So while you may appear to be very multiple in your fronts, this all fits together within a system. And again, probably as, as I'm hearing you talk, a lot of this then goes to the, the fundamentals and the techniques. Yeah, I think the... Uh... It just comes back to your initial question. The first topic we kind of talked about was, was you define each defense. So when you look out there and there's, you know, essentially a three-three-five personnel or a three-two-six personnel or a three-four personnel, you associate that with a whole bunch of rules and another defense and, and all that, and we don't. And if there's another group of guys out there, you know, how we're marrying techniques together might be very, very similar. That extra linebacker, might in our eyes be the three technique and he's going to, you know, pressure through the outside shoulder of the guard. And if he pulls, he's going to work this way and his keys will be very similar to that three techniques, but he's doing it from off the ball. And you, you know, um, that's just kind of a vanilla idea. And so even though there's structure, it looks a little different, you know, in our head, you know, he's just playing a different technique than maybe a, you know, a similar position in, in a different scheme. And so, yeah, I think in football, obviously, right now, impressions a lot of it. You know, what what a, what a team's looking at when they want to attack you as a defense and how can we take advantage of creating an impression that, you know, uh, might make you think we're something different than we are. I think everybody's trying to do that. You know, you send 21 personnel as an offense and teams aren't empty. And so if you take too much stock in, in those sort of 
things. I mean, obviously those are the things you can manipulate to, um, you know, throw a game plan off. Um, and, and we're trying to, you know, do that defensively and be on the, on the front end of that, not, you know, find out, have them surprised. And hopefully, you know, as we do that, we can shrink game plans and make guys, you know, uh, reduce their playbook down to a manageable position where we don't feel like we're getting attacked with the whole thing week after week. And so, you know, uh, again, it's, it's not, you know, this amoeba sort of crazy pressure filled defense. It's, uh, you know, I think we've taken a lot of time to marry just different techniques and win and nuance more than, you know, these elaborate things that look good from, from the stand sometimes. Coach, if I were to ask you to give, you know, coaches out there listening just a few simple steps to get started, maybe if they like this kind of philosophy, to get started with where they're at right now to be able to, to have something that does have this kind of flexibility and presents two offenses in different ways, what, what are a few steps you'd give them to get started with this? You know, the first thing I do is I take, you know, who are my 11 best players? I write it down 1 to 11. And don't think positionally, don't think any of us, who are my best 11? And, and then what is the best thing to do to, to, to beat, you know, the majority of teams on my schedule? And can those 11 guys do that? And, if, and it, it, with what I know and what I've taught, if they can't do that, you know, where do nine of them fit in? And how do I make the other two fit in for, for, for what we can't, what we're lacking? And I think putting that puzzle together, um, you know, to allow your best 11 guys to be out there as many downs as possible gives you the best chance to win regardless of what you're doing. And so, you know, I think that's kind of where it all came down to is, you know, hey, I, I only got one defensive end. That's part of that 11. You know, I got an extra a guy who's more of a linebacker type. How can I make him play the other defensive end? You know, that's how the 3-4 kind of reduced front started. And so, you know, he's playing a different sort of techniques than your standard D end would play. Um, it's our job as coaches to figure out unique ways to get that job done. And I think, you know, finding a way to essentially jam that square peg in the round hole with your best 11 guys, um, you know, gets you, gets your mind going a little bit on, you know, how to get those guys out there without just, you know, succumbing to the rules of everybody else's, you know, three, four, four, three, four, two, five rules. Coach, I appreciate you sharing all these ideas about how you think about the game and really ideas on how the game is evolving. Um, but if I were to, to ask you, Coach, with all the things you do, whether that's the, the stuff you're doing to build your units or the different schemes you're able to put them in, what is the one thing you do that you feel really gives your defensive unit, your guys, the winning edge? I, th- I think you just got to remember these guys are people. And – you know, I think, again, going back to the willingness and motivation that gets your guys playing harder than anybody else's, you know, playing tougher, more competitive than anybody else's. And I think, you know, I think a lot of times at our level and, and any level, any coach, and sometimes you get lost in, in forgetting the fact that those guys look at you as a coach, as a, as a mentor, as somebody that's invested in their life and and if they know you're you're really doing that and you truly are um i think those guys will will absolutely run through a wall for you and not that that's the end all be all but they want these experiences and that's what it takes and so i think making sure that you know with all the x's and o's and schematics and techniques that you never 
you know, lose sight of the most important thing. These guys are people and that you can, you know, really have a huge influence on them positively or negatively or not at all. And I think when you get caught in too much of the, you know, football end of things, you don't get the intangibles out of those guys. And that's what makes the, that's what makes the engine really rev is all that looks good, but how are they doing it? Well, I think that has a lot to do with the sort of relations you have with the players. And I think finding different ways to have, you know, all of your staff involved with coaching them and having relationships with all of your players, not getting so stuck into position groups and, you know, having treating this as a, as a people's game, um, I think has always given us, you know, a little bit more of an edge sometimes. And, and I don't know, I think a lot of guys do it a lot of, you know, a lot of different ways very, very well. I just think, it, you know, we found a way to motivate our guys from a personal level sometimes that um, gets them pretty invested in what we're doing. Coach, what's the best way for our listeners to connect with you and follow what you guys are doing at South Dakota? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, following us on Twitter. I don't even know our Twitter handle is for a team. Um, you know, but South Dakota University Coyotes, um, you know, usdcoyotes.com. You, know, you can follow me on, on Twitter at Coach T. Johansson and send me a message anytime. I'll do my best to get back to anybody possible. And, you know, if there's things that, you know, interest them, do my absolute best to help guys out in any way. Well, Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your ideas here today. Best of luck to you and the Coyotes in 2019. Appreciate it, Keith. Awesome talking to you. Thanks again for joining us on the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. We appreciate you listening. Again, stay tuned for news about future direction of the podcast and follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski.